Well, good morning, church. It is good to be with you all this morning. My name is Dan, and I get to be on stage today because Pastor Wayne and Jill are in Israel uh, for 10 days touring the Holy Land, getting to see all the amazing sights, and we're just trusting that he's going to come back renewed and with a passion for God's word, being able to see where Jesus walked. So, I'm thankful. I'm excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning. Wasn't that nice with the students up here? Did you guys enjoy that? For those of you here in person and those of you joining us online, I would like to start this morning with a question. And it fits in with our series, our series on prayer and our year of strengthening. And it is this, why do so many prayers go unanswered? Well, the fact of the matter is, is God does not answer all prayers. You've probably had someone say something like this to you. You know, I tried prayer. Man, I had a need and I I asked God for, I started praying very, very fervently for a very long time. You know, five whole days of prayer. And I just didn't see the results. Nothing happened. And now I'm discouraged I don't believe in prayer. And the fact is this. There are thousands of prayers going up every day, but only a few come back down answered. Why is that? What causes it? Is prayer a farce or a superstition or something we just con ourselves into believing works when in reality it doesn't? Of course not. But why are there so many unanswered prayers? And you might be starting to think right now, Pastor Dan, are you telling me that God completely ignores some people's prayers? I mean, no, I will not tell you that. I I am not so bold as to make that kind of claim, but scripture does. In Psalm 66, 18, it says this, if I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. The Bible says that God does not hear some of our prayers. In fact, in the Bible, God has laid out several conditions for answered prayer. And today we're going to consider four of these conditions because unless we meet these God-given conditions before we pray, we're actually wasting our breath. Church, this is exciting, right? Are we about to discover for the very first time some magic recipe so we can finally get what we want from God? No, but according to scripture, if we meet these conditions before we go to him in prayer, we have every right to expect what we ask for in prayer to be answered. But before we get to our four conditions for answered prayer, we need to take a couple minutes to examine the foundation for which the four walls are going to be built upon. The foundation is key, and the foundation is this. You must have an honest relationship with God. Jesus says it this way in John 15, 7, If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you want, and it will be done for you. Right? It's a wonderful promise that we find in Scripture. But in the Bible, every promise usually has a condition. An easy way to remember this is that for every promise, there is a premise. The promise here is this. 
I will give you whatever you ask for in prayer. But the condition or the premise is, if you remain in me. So how do we remain in Christ? The next sentence tells us, you remain in Christ when Christ's words remain in you. In other words, God says if we soak our lives in Scripture, and when I talk about soaking, has anybody had a sponge before? Like, I have a bad habit of leaving my sponge in the kitchen sink, in the sink when I'm done doing the dishes, and then you go squeeze the sponge, and the icky, if, we, if, if our lives are like a sponge soaked full of God's word, then we will be abiding in Christ. God requires us to listen to him first before he listens to us. He says this in Proverbs 28, 9. He who turns his ear away from listening to the law, even his prayer is an abomination. If I don't pay attention to what God says to me in his word, why should he pay any attention to me when I talk to him? So if the starting point is to have an honest relationship with God, you, as well as me, may be wondering how, right? And the answer is this, through the word of God. That's why Bible study is so important. The more that you understand the Bible, the more you will have the mind of Christ, and the more you will know how to pray effectively. Now, you might be wondering, how can I know if I have an honest relationship with God, Pastor Dan? Well, I'm really glad you asked. You're in the right place. The Apostle John gives us three questions from the book of 1 John that will help us to evaluate the foundation and make sure our footing is secure before we look at our four principles for the day. So I hope you will bear with me as I do my, my three points, and then we'll do a four-point sermon after that. Is everybody okay? You thought you were going to get out early just because the youth pastor's preaching? <sighs> the first question comes from 1 John chapter 1. And John says this, if we say we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. So the foundational question number one is this, am I willing to admit things that I have done wrong in the past? If I'm going to have an honest relationship with God, it has to begin with confession. I must be willing to acknowledge and accept responsibility for my sins. It may be an activity or an attitude or a habit. When we go on our own way and do our own things, it breaks our connection between us and God. When we try to cover up things that we know are wrong, then an honest relationship is broken. There's a falseness, a con, a fraud. When we're trying to live two different lives at once, living for God and living for self. So the first thing that I must do if I am to have a relationship with God is be honest. I have to admit what I've done wrong. We must acknowledge and accept responsibility for our sins. The second question comes from chapter three of 1 John, and it is this, am I currently ignoring 
any of God's principles. In other words, when God tells me to do something, or when I'm holding on to something that I know that God wants me to let go of, and I continue to cling to it because it just, you know, it brings comfort. It's my comfort sin. It breaks the prayer chain of connection with God. Listen to John. He says it this way. Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, we have confidence before God and we receive from him anything we ask. Right? That's the promise. But here's the condition. Because we obey his commands and do what pleases him. This is his command. That you believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he has commanded us. You're like, oh man, really? How can I keep all of God's commands? Nobody's perfect. How am I ever gonna get my prayers answered? Well, here's the good news. God does not demand perfection. He simply demands obedience. Obedience is an attitude, right? It's the desire to do what is right. God doesn't expect perfection, but he does expect us to obey. For example, I have a four-year-old. Most of you have met him. His name is Boaz. He's awesome. And I, as a parent, will have times where I ask Boaz to go pick up his toys, right? And about 30 minutes later, if I check on Boaz, if he has picked up some of his toys, but his room is not immaculate, am I going to get upset as a parent? No, because he obeyed. Was he perfect? No, but he obeyed. Flip it over. 30 minutes later, I walk into his room and he's still playing gung-ho with all of his toys and there's more stuff on the floor than the moment that I had asked him to clean up his room. Am I then upset? Yes. Because as a parent, I don't expect perfection, but I do expect obedience. An attitude of I want to do what is right. So we ask ourselves, Am I hiding something from God in my relationship? Am I doing what I know he wants me to do at this specific given point? Am I being obedient? The third question is this, to evaluate the foundational honesty of your relationship with God is do I really want God's will for my life? 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says it this way, we can be confident that he will listen to us whenever we ask him for anything in line with his will. But if we know he is listening when we make requests, we can be sure that he will give us what we ask for. When we ask according to God's will, we have confidence in prayer and we know that he's going to answer. But most Christians, if you're like me, we make big mistakes. We go around constantly asking, God, is it your will that I pray for this? Is it your will that I do this? And over every little item, and the real issue is this, church. The real issue is not, God, what is your will for me regarding this specific circumstance that I'm looking at right now? The real issue is, am I in God's will as a person. If my life is in harmony with God, then my desires are also going to be in harmony with God. 
Augustine said it this way, love God and do what you please. Why would he say something like that? Because if you really love God with all of your heart, you're not going to want to do what displeases him. Are you going to be perfect? No. But are you going to be willing? Yes. So you don't have to constantly ask, is it his will? You live your life in God's will and say, to the best of my knowledge, at this very moment, I'm trying to do what's right. Lord, I want to live in your will. And then the Bible says you ask according to your desires as you live in God's will. So now that we've built our foundation, we've dealt with that, we have a firm place to to talk about the conditions for prayer. And I'd love to share with you the four biblical conditions for answered prayer. This is where you can start using your outline and the fill in the blanks, those kind of things. Thanks for bearing with me on my first three points. So Jesus lays out the first condition for us having our prayers answered in Mark eleven twenty four and 25. It says this. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive him so that your father in heaven may forgive your sins. So our first condition for having our prayers answered is this. You must have a forgiving attitude toward other people. Jesus is saying, you can pray for anything. And if you believe, you'll have it. That's the promise, remember? But the condition, the premise comes next. He says, but when you're praying, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against. Anybody hold any grudges? Anybody holding any grudges right now? Right? I'm not the only one. It says, first forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins also. Over and over again, when Jesus talks about prayer in Scripture, he also speaks about forgiveness. Why? Because nothing will kill your prayer life faster than resentment, a lack of forgiveness. When you hold a grudge, when you nurse an ill feeling towards someone, when you allow bitterness to grow in your life and in your heart, it hinders your prayers. Maybe you're praying and not getting an answer because you're holding a grudge against somebody. In Matthew 5, Jesus says, if you stand before the altar at the temple offering a sacrifice and you suddenly remember that someone is holding something against you, leave your sacrifice there beside the altar and go be reconciled to that person. Then come back and offer your sacrifice to God. Before we pray, before we worship, we get things right with others. We make harmony in the relationship. Then we come back and we give our gift to the Lord. Why? Because God says you can't love him and hate your brother. One of the primary reasons why people never see answered prayers because they allow bitterness to spring up in their lives. They allow their relationships with people to affect their relationship with God. The writer of Hebrews warns us this way, watch out that no bitterness take root among you, 
For as it springs up among you, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. Bitterness is like a poison, guys. It will eat you alive. If you have any unforgiveness in your heart, you can't have your prayers answered. What do we pray every time we pray the Lord's Prayer, right? In Matthew 6, 12, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You're basically saying to God, God, I want you to forgive me the amount I forgive everybody else. Do you really want to pray that? Right? Unforgiveness is a major prayer buster. And this is true in marriage. Sorry, Liz. As well, right? I suspect that many of us don't have our prayers answered because of problems in that specific relationship. One of the easiest places to have resentment build up is within our own families. Family members hurt each other's feelings. Husbands hurt wives. Wives hurt husbands. Parents hurt their kids and vice versa. Bitterness and resentment are a common experience in the family relationship. Listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter Chapter three, verse seven. And maybe this is why you haven't had many prayers answered also. It says this, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat her with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is an equal partner in God's gift of new life. If you don't treat her as you should, your prayers will not be heard. I bet you didn't know that the Bible says that disharmony in the home blocks answers to prayer. How you treat your spouse or your children directly influences your prayer life. That's pretty strong stuff, church. But we all know it. If our home is full of tension, our prayers and our prayer life becomes ineffective. It's not my idea, it's what God's word says and it's a great motivation to get harmony restored in your marriage and in your family and in your home. So if I want my prayers to be effective, first I must have a forgiving attitude towards people. The next, number two, says this. You must be willing to share the results. This is the principle of generosity we see throughout scripture in 2 Corinthians 9, 6. It says, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Luke 6, 38, give and it will be given unto you. If you expect God to bless your life, you must be willing to bless others with the same benefits that God has given you. Proverbs 21, 13 says it clearly. If one shuts his ears to the cry of the poor, he too will cry out and not be answered. God says, if you pay no attention to other people's legitimate needs, why should he pay attention to yours? More than anything, church, in all things, God wants us to look like him. So he sets as a prerequisite to blessing our lives that we must be a blessing to other people. Why? Because he's the giver of good gifts. He's the blessing to all the nations through the line of Israel. 
And as we celebrate it at Christmas, he is the true gift. So if we who have been blessed with so much ignore those who are in obvious difficulty around us, what right do we have to expect God to bail us out? See, we've read the verse in 1 John 3 that says, we receive from him anything we ask if we obey his commands. But what are his commands? The very next verse tells us, and this is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, and love one another just as he commanded us. One of the ways we obey his commands, church, is by loving other people. He explains this in verse 17 of chapter three where he goes on to say, if anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need and has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? One of the way we prove our love for others is by sharing our generosity, our willingness to share. God blesses us so that we may bless others. This is the biblical principle of stewardship, right? It's all throughout scripture that God blesses us in order that we might be a blessing to other people. We're supposed to be a channel Right? I wouldn't presume to ask God to bless my business if I was not willing to at least return a generous amount of what he blessed me with back to him. You say, man, I ask God for good health. Well, what are you going to do with your body after he's made you well? Are you going to spend all the effort and energy on yourself or are you willing to help other people? One of the conditions for answered prayer in the Bible is being willing to help those who are less fortunate with the blessings that we are given. James mentions another reason why our prayers may be hindered in James chapter four, verse two and three. It says this, you have not because you do not ask God and you ask not when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with the wrong motive that you may spend what you get on your own pleasures. See, motive is very important in prayer. Why you pray is probably, is more important than what you pray for. Is it possible to pray for the right thing with the wrong motive? Sure, I'm not saying that you should never pray for your own personal needs. Jesus encourages us to pray for our own needs as he taught us to pray, right? Matthew 6, 11, give us today our daily bread. God even says it's okay for us to pray for the desires of our heart in Psalm 37, 4. But our motive must not be selfish. Are you willing to share your blessing with other people? Are you going to hoard it all to yourself? God is not interested in simply filling your pockets and satisfying your selfishness. If you want God to bless you, you must be willing to be a channel of blessing to other people. Number three is this. You must believe that God will answer. Matthew 9, 29, and then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, will it be done to you? Inadequate faith is a real prayer buster. 
Do we really believe that our God is all powerful? That he is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond all that we ask or think? If you don't own that truth, you might as well toss prayer. If your prayers have clouds of doubt circling around above you as you're even saying them out, they're not going to go anywhere. The story is told of a, a small town in which there were no liquor stores. But eventually, however, a nightclub was built on Main Street and members of one of the churches of the area were so disturbed that they conducted several all-night prayer meetings and asked the Lord to burn down that den of iniquity. Lightning struck the tavern a short time later and it was completely destroyed by a fire. The owner, knowing how the church people had been praying, sued them for the damages. His attorney claimed that their prayers had caused the loss and the congregation, on the other hand, hired a lawyer and fought the charges. After much deliberation, the judge declared, it is the opinion of the court that whatever, wherever the guilt may lie, the tavern keeper is the one who truly believes in prayer while the church members do not. Right? We might smile and laugh at this story, but it suggests how faithless we sometimes are in offering our petitions to God. The bottom line is this. We can pray, believe, and receive, or we can pray, doubt, and do without. Right? If our prayers are to be effective, there must be no doubting his power, his love, his wisdom, or the integrity of his character. Hebrews 11.6 says, And without faith it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Ian Bounds, when writing about Hebrews, says this, prayer is absolutely dependent upon faith. Before, before prayer ever starts towards God, before its petition is offered, before its requests are made known, faith must have gone ahead. This is the primary step in praying. It is the one great condition of prayer. The lack of faith lies at the root of all poor praying, feeble praying, little praying, and unanswered praying. Jesus told his apostles this, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you can say to that mountain over there, be taken up and cast into the sea and it will happen. And everything you ask for in prayer, believing you shall receive. Now, since Jesus was a carpenter and not in the mountain excavation business, right? His main concern was those mountains, not over there in the Sierra foothills, but those mountains that you and I face in our hearts, in our lives. But his point is this, that the prayer of faith involves focusing on God, not on the mountain. The Bible never tells us to have faith in any other object than God or Christ. Faith verges on the prefaces, the prefaces, I, I knew I was, precipice, there we go. There's your one, congregation. 
Faith verges on the precipice of magic and superstition when we have faith in faith or faith in prayer. Our faith is to be in God alone. He's the one that answers prayer. And there are those of us today who hear people tell us this. All you have to do is have faith. Trust in your faith, trust in your prayers, trust in your own wisdom. Decide what you want, they say. And then they believe it and that you'll get it. This is the name it and claim it theology, right? And then they tell you, you know, if you you didn't get what you prayed for, they say it's because you didn't believe enough. If you did, you would have gotten it. In other words, you didn't have enough faith in the answer of your prayers. But our faith is not to be in the answer of our prayer. It is to be in the answerer of our prayer. Faith is ever to be in God. And if our requests are not consistent with God in his wisdom and what he's revealed to us, then there's no amount of faith in our prayers that will help us. Such praying, right, it's putting our faith in any other object other than God is much more akin to foolishness than faith. It doesn't matter how much faith you have in prayer or how little doubt there is that God could answer your prayer if it doesn't line up with his will, the answer-er, the answer-er will often remain silent. Church, we must pray and not doubt, but our faith is not in prayer or the answer to our prayer. It is him in him who specializes in the impossible. This has never been more real to me than just a couple weeks ago on Christmas Eve as my wife and sons and I were sitting over there in that pew. And my little baby Benjamin, who'll be one next month, started to get warm and started to stare up at the lights and started to go a little unresponsive. So we rushed out of the room, thinking he probably just needed some air and to cool down. And as I left into the foyer, I saw my baby on the floor having a febrile seizure. I didn't even know what a febrile seizure was, but God has built into children a defense mechanism where if they get too hot too fast or too cold too fast, they will shut down. But it's scary. And as I was laying on my stomach in the foyer as Pastor Wayne was still preaching and you guys were lighting candles, I'm sure it was a beautiful moment, I was on my face before the Lord, breathing air into my little boy's lungs and praying And in those tender moments, Jesus was making it painfully clear and obvious to me that my trust needed to be in him and him alone. Not in the health of my son, not in the skillfulness of the firefighter paramedics who were on their way, but in the God who loves Benjamin more than I or his mother ever could. The fourth and final condition we want to consider today is this. You must be living in the presence of Christ. 
Check out what John, Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse five and six. I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If only we would remain in him. In many versions, the word here is translated abide. And it's one of my favorite things to talk about with the students. They're probably sick of me hearing it. But the word abide means to stay. It's where we get our modern translation of the word abode, right? Your home, you abide in your abode, you live at your house. It's where you stay. It's where you make your home. And Christ is calling us to remain in him, to live in the constant presence of the king. It comes back to the foundation that we talked about All the other walls, everything is built upon our relationship with Jesus. Not just as a Holy Spirit life preserver to keep us safe when we die and we get to go be with heaven for eternity. That's awesome. But it's not the main point. Jesus did not just come and die on the cross for our sins so that we could spend eternity with a God that we don't like talking to. The God of the universe loved you enough that he wants to have a relationship with you. And the Bible's very clear that through that relationship, through being plugged in and connected with him, we can bear much fruit. He goes on to say this in verses seven and eight. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given unto you. This is to my father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Why does God answer our prayers? It's for his glory, to make his name known, that we might be fruitful, because fruitful lives bring glory to God. Let me close this morning with one more passage from the book of 1 John that truly encapsulates all that we've talked about so far. And it is this, 1 John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we ask for. if we have an honest relationship with God as our foundation, if we have a forgiving attitude towards other people, if we're willing to share the results, if we believe that God will answer, and if we're living in the presence of Christ, we know that he hears us, and we know that we can have what we ask of him. Let me pray. Father God, thank you so much for this morning. Lord, thank you for this season that we're focusing on prayer. God, I'm so thankful that we have a God that wants to listen to us, that desires to answer us. God, thank you for laying out a path that we can know, that we can follow, so that we can be 
in the center of your will for our lives. God, more than anything we ask for, Lord, we ask that you would allow us to live fruitful lives, lives that glorify and honor you in all that we do. We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.